Hello, beautiful people, and welcome to another episode of Towards Vivencia, the podcast. In this second season, Bridging the Gap. In this second season, we are bridging the gap between some of the top dance companies in the whole world and our community. Towards Vivencia will be collaborating with dancers who are or have been working with the greatest choreographers and companies of the 20th and 21st century. These incredible artists bring these incredible works and performances to life, and they have generously offered to share how they train in order to do so. Their personal approaches to the company's technical style, cross-training for both body and mind, and staying creatively inspired. All this and more will provide a unique insight into how these dancers work, how they work within these companies, and how they bridge the gap between their previous training and what is required to work with those companies. Hello everyone, it is my pleasure today to introduce you Victoria, or as we prefer, Vicky Hoyland. She is an amazing dancer, which I will get to that in a second. I met her many years ago at the place while she was a student apprentice at Hofe Sector Dance Company, when Hofe Sector was not Hofe Sector, was something just starting there. Then we kind of like lost track of each other. And then, funny enough, life kind of like brought us together when she became or they got together with my best friend and long-term collaborator, Vincenzo Lamagna, and we kind of connect personally again. Since then, we've collaborated in a few projects. Uh, we hung out and it's one of those dancers and human beings that I highly admire because of her humanity she's humble she's gorgeous on a stage in life as well but on the stage uh, we are we're <laughs> focusing now at the moment and lately over the last few years she's been doubling up as an osteopath and dancer working quite a lot in switzerland in two companies alias and 7273 which i always get it wrong because i'm dyslexic and it's 10,000 millions and 105 numbers <laughs> So, Vicky Hoyland, thank you so much for being with us today. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. So, I am not exaggerating at all when I said that I highly admire you as a person, human, uh, performer in all the aspects, because I, I strongly believe that you are incredibly talented at what you do. Uh, lately, we've been working also as an osteopath patient. I broke my foot and then you've been helping me as well. And uh, we collaborate mm -hmm. in a number of projects, you as a dancer, me kind of like directing little, little things. And I highly admire you. And probably for me, you are one of the most incredible performers out there, but also one of the most self-underrated dancers out there. Yeah, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> How is that happened? And how can both things survive together? Um, they, I don't think they did for a little while. Um, I think it was a bit of um, a struggle for me, actually. Um, I remember when I first got my apprenticeship with Hofesh, it was quite a surprise and also quite a struggle. It was, um, it was my dream goal um, for a long time time forward in the future, not something to happen as soon as I left school. Um, and I was terrified when I got it. And although I did well in the work and I loved the work and they really appreciated me as a performer and they got me to collaborate in the creation of the New Girls piece and it was really fantastic, 
I think like lack of confidence or belief in the studio was probably one of the reasons why I wasn't able to continue with the company um, for not just holding my space, holding my ground and having that sort of self-belief and confidence. I think it was a little bit um, difficult to, to work with someone who um, doesn't necessarily have such a, a strong sense of self in the space. Um, and I have to say, it took me um, a lot longer than I would have liked to have uh, built up that confidence level. Um, I probably went through another couple of years of um, working really well with companies, working really well with choreographers, doing some really nice pieces um, with the Place Prize, with Riccardo Biscarini and with uh, Rob Clark. And so, yeah, working with Rob Clark, he really pushed me in a theatrical way that I'd never had to work before using voice and text. And um, I couldn't sort of hide behind my dancing. I had to be really exposed in a completely different way that I wasn't used to. Um, and that was really hard for me as well. Um, and again, a bit of a confidence issue, which he learned or taught me to use as a strength. So he was like, Vic, you need to use all of those feelings and all of those reactions as a way to perform. So he really built this character around my insecurities and around my uh, lack of confidence. And I was really able to embrace like needing to pee on stage or needing to... Uh, stutter or not knowing what to say or feeling embarrassed or and I was allowed to just comment and like expose them all as part of the character and it was really hard for me to do I don't know if I did it um, still so well <laughs> but it was a really good learning curve to actually realize that you can use some of those weaknesses or fragilities uh, in your performance and so maybe that's where they can lie together a bit better these days as I've uh, come to accept some of those things um, and be a bit more at peace with them and relax with them a bit more. And so maybe that's how I've managed to settle um, the two together, lack of confidence and performing. <laughs> they don't normally go so well. <laughs> It's interesting, and, and I can see how you can uh, use uh, those weaknesses, those uh, skills, those behaviors that are part of you in order to create a character, in order to portray that, uh, as to use it as a fuel for a piece. And I can understand that easily, how that can be translated into a piece that is more narrative in order to create a character. Mm. How do you use that now in pieces that are much more straightforward, that you can somehow hide sometimes behind our way of improvising or the things that we do well, we hide. How do you do that now? How do you use them now in, to your advantage? Now, uh, especially working with uh, Alias and Guillaume Botello, um, he was really interesting to work with because he doesn't look for dancers at all. Uh, when you go to the audition, when you do improvisation, when he creates pieces, he's really attached to a concept and he's really attached to the group working as a group to fulfill a vision. And so it really becomes not about you. And I think that was a really good way of learning to be you on stage because you were serving a 
bigger purpose. You're part of a community or part of a population or part of a um, a bigger work of art. Um, and that was really nice to find. The group was mixed of anywhere between 20 and 45 year olds and different shapes, sizes and different histories, backgrounds, different abilities and you just mold together as a population. Um, so I think that's where I really found my place um, because it was really nice to be part of something bigger and not feel um, yeah not feel like it was about what you what you did and what you could do it was how it was how you achieve um, something beyond you somehow um, I don't know if that answered your question no no it does it does uh, I'm, I'm actually questioning or, or doubting how do you do that uh, it comes to mind this uh, passage in which Josie Oida talks about becoming the empty vessel for the work exist through them. Yeah. So I'm wondering if it's something that you do, do you kind of like Vicky Hoyland disappears and therefore it's the work that you embodied or uh, I'm curious to see how your yourself, who Vicky Hoyland is, uh, and I'm using the word self as strong as possible, contributes to these works or that self completely disappear and became something completely selfless or something in between. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's a tricky merge. I, I feel like um, you learn to become a part of you, learns to become a bit of a vessel, but almost like in meditation, when you meditate on something or for something, you just, you allow thoughts to pass through and you're still allowed to experience them and you still have your own experience of it, but you don't like own it or hold onto it or try to force something or try to change something. It's It's that a bit of, it's like, yeah, I guess in meditation is the closest thing to what I learned to be like in these pieces is that you um, allow the piece to work through you and you have some um, control over it or in it. And obviously you have your own life experiences and, and emotions that will arise, but it's allowing them to kind of filter through in a way that serves the, the piece. So it helps like if you... Sometimes his pieces come together quite late because you don't really get it for a while. Um, he can have quite a stride. Um, it only really comes together in the final stage and you don't really know what you're serving until, until you do it. So um, it's kind of a thing just to trust in something um, and to... Yeah, to trust in something and to... to find your story in it, but to also um, realize that you're a big part of a, a team, of a visual aesthetic, and to not really stand out. Like, it's really good there to kind of blend in and to be one of the many um, is quite often the theme in, in his work. And so that's quite nice that you let your ego go and you just have to do your part as everyone else, <laughs> something like that. And always this reflection comes somehow after the work is done, isn't it? It's like you know what the work uh, you've been doing, how you serve the work that you've been doing, and that you realize that it's an exercise of faith, that it's an act of disappearance as well. But I'm curious because that's kind of like our bread and butter, our daily job. So could you be able now on reflection to share some of the 
tools, mechanisms, approaches, behaviors that you use day to day in order to be able to confront might not be the word, but just to be able to carry out that job that requires that selflessness together with inputting what is required from you? Yeah, I can try. <laughs> I don't know if every day it's the, the same. Maybe you look for different things for different pieces. Um, so I, th I think depending on what the piece is asking of you, maybe you prepare a bit, a bit differently. Um, but I, I know for sure that it was really important for me to just have a basic level of physical strength. I, I, I know that at some point, especially at the beginning, maybe I wasn't such, I wasn't so strong as a, as a dancer. I think I, I. I'm quite a light dancer and uh, can lose a bit of weight sometimes. Um, and so I tried to work after my apprenticeship on sort of building strength um, just to be able to cope with material and length of pieces and stamina. Um, so I know that doing James Wilton and stuff like that was also quite uh, good for that in order to actually just put the body into a really good fit physical place. Um, I know other pieces don't need that so much, but um, I felt like that was something that I needed to have as a baseline, um, was just to be a bit stronger. Um, and then I think that um, I actually tried to spend a lot of time working on sensation. Um, so I was really interested in... Um, working with Hoffish and uh, also the Gaga movement that works a lot on the imagery that allows you to connect to your emotions and sensations in your own way. Um, otherwise, most of the dance stuff that I'd done, it was always copying a form. I really trained classically and then quite a lot in the contemporary techniques and Cunningham and Graham and there's very much like an aesthetic that you have to form to and it was quite difficult for me to break away from that having studied so much in the classical. I was very much on the outside appearance of how things should look, what was right, what was wrong. And so then I really wanted to explore much more this feeling that actually there's no right or wrong and you can only just discover depth of quality, depth of sensation, depth of you <laughs> and using that as your way to, to move and to communicate. And, and I realized that that was also a good way to tap into... Um, the acting side of dancing. There's a lot of physical theatre and it didn't settle so well with me because I didn't feel very strong as an actor. I didn't think that I would really carry that across. Um, so I never really fought to work for a physical theatre company. Um, but actually you realise that if you can dive into sensations, qualities, imagery, and you don't create the, a block like a dancer's block or a, I don't know if maybe dancers don't have it these days but I definitely had it when I was at school that you kind of wouldn't let things show beyond the beyond the face you wouldn't allow um, fatigue or pleasure or anything to to come out beyond in movement alone um, and I felt like with some of those movements and research that really allowed you to create a bit more transparency between what you feel and how that's then received and then you see a bit more beyond technique and form and ability and you're able to connect to the more human part of someone and then it doesn't really matter what they do if you believe them <laughs> and so if they're moving from a place 
that's them, you can't not believe them. And then you can't really not be moved by them. So I think working on kind of diving into that was something that I found quite useful. Thank you. That is the reason why I absolutely adore and love Vicky Hoyland, because in her early 30s, the amount of knowledge and wealth of uh, discovery and research that is in her body, it is just quite extraordinary. And talking of which, I'm going to dive a little bit deeper into your wealth of knowledge. I am aware that you finished osteopathy a few years ago, a couple of years ago, two, three years ago, you finished the, the studies. Yeah. So for a while you were doubling up as a professional performer and as a student, and now you're doubling up as a professional performer and as an osteopath. Can I ask you, what are the skills that you had as a dancer help you with the studies of uh, osteopathy and how the knowledge that you receive in osteopathy is helping you with your dance career at the moment? Oh, <laughs> yes. Um, two sides to that. They can help each other, but they can also definitely not help each other. <laughs> um, so, how they help each other. Let's focus on the positives. Um, ah, how it doesn't is easy. Like The time commitment and the split between two worlds is just really bloody hard, man. Like Diving into academia, diving into technique, diving into a whole uh, vocabulary and thing that it needs to be full-time really and to do it part-time you just dip into it on a weekend and then you go on tour for two weeks or maybe even skip 30% of your course when you attend 70% attendance and you're just like constantly chasing your tail like just trying to make it by so it was not so complimentary in a way um, but also they really I'm really glad I did it I'm really glad because the work I do, I really enjoy in Switzerland and I really like the travel, I like the different pieces, I like the collaboration, I love the work. But um, it was really nice to come back to the UK and have structure and um, something to really dive into mentally, um, not just physically. It was nice to have the variety of stimulus. Like It was really nice to be able to grapple with two really different ways of knowing the body um, but then still integrating like you said so complementarily <laughs> um, I think um, I'm not sure how well dance served yeah dance served the osteopathy a lot because it was really um, useful way of sort of being able to embody your patients you're so used to your body and sensation that when people describe things or how things happened, it's so easy to put yourself in their position. And I think that really helps with the empathy and I think that really helps with the understanding and already that kind of connection can help with the, with the treatment approach. So that was really useful and it was also really useful because you can demonstrate quite clearly we have like a really unique ability to control our body in a really exceptional way that most people don't have access to um, and so you can really explain or sh like even show demonstrate certain things that that help um, people to anchor in and to understand their bodies a bit better when they can see what you're talking about so I think that kind of visual element was also useful um, 
along with just our training. Like we've got so many tools from dancing in terms of how to manage and treat ourselves and thresholds and knowing when to push through to achieve something because we're totally masochistic and can just battle on through despite having whatever ruptured Achilles or something and knowing when to pull back and take care of ourselves. So I think that was quite useful in that direction. And then in the other direction, apart from giving a lot of free treatments to dancers while I was studying, which I'm sure was quite nice to some people, um, it helped me to uh, do some really demanding works and despite my now age, uh, doing pretty well, <laughs> considering. <laughs> so we just did a falling piece that you fall for an hour, it's quite a marathon, and uh, the team are quite a bunch of youngsters, actually. I'm the old one um, with the group, and it was really nice to know that I knew how to take care of myself. I knew when to push, I knew how to be really effective with my energy levels, um, so I felt like I had resources um, and I actually had a knee injury for a few years and I managed to fix it during the falling piece which I thought would totally fuck it over but it, um, it got a lot stronger and I was much more aware of how to manage myself and my body and um, prepare physically and mentally for such an endurance piece so I think they tie well together finally <laughs> While you were studying, we brought you a couple of sessions to work with our dancers. I was doing at the time this piece in which the dancers had to skip on the rope for 45, 50 minutes. And I remember bringing you in a couple of sessions of how to take care of themselves. Mm -hmm. And it was very nice. So please put a Vicky Hoyland in your life because uh, it makes everyone <laughs> happier, healthier and safer. Oh, thanks. Thank you, actually. Uh, so Vicky, this is probably the question for this podcast because you're going to be teaching with us next week uh, in Towards Vivencia and you've been already before with us and I love always your classes and, and you as a uh, deliver in them. It's, it's very, very human. But now I would like to tap into that wealth of knowledge. So can you tell us a little bit more about what are you going to shape part or the whole of that knowledge into next week classes? What are the people going to, to receive, uh, what they can expect, how they need to prepare? Yes. I hope it's not going to be too, too boring. Um, I don't think it will be. I was, uh, I was listening or I've, I don't know, with the amount of auditions and things that I've done, and I was thinking of what you do to train or prepare to get into your professional career and jobs. And, and I remember people always wanting to push you, like always push your boundaries, push this, push that, like strive to do more, strive to do better, strive to... And like I remember being exhausted of like, how do you have so... like to have so many ideas and constantly reinvent yourself and... Uh, I don't know, I just found it really difficult, like change your story all the time, do this, do that, like... And I just remember being totally um, drained. I was drained of like, I didn't know who I was, I didn't know how I should move. I, do you move like what the choreographer wants you to move like? Do you move like how you want to move like? Do, what do they mean by that task? Like how literally should I take it? How creative should I be? Um, and constantly judging like, was I crazy enough? No, I don't think so because I grew up Mormon or whatever and I grew up in a in a classical situation, didn't have very, yeah, I don't know, it felt quite... Um, 
conservative for such a contemporary world and didn't really know how to fit in. And I don't know if I keep getting bashed and pushed to to invent, like without anyone feeding me or me feeding myself, I found that really difficult. Um, so my approach or something that I realized was that when I stopped trying so hard <laughs> to please everyone, um, I did a lot better. Um, I finally found a company that I could settle into. I became an assistant for the choreographer and stayed with for about seven or eight years until now. So I kind of found a, a safe place, but not that you don't take risk. It's the only company where I dance naked or where I fell over for an hour or where I... Like, it's a place where you can take risk and I realized that I take risks when I feel safe. So my approach is for people that are a bit like me, uh, maybe. Like, I love to rock climb, I love to take risks, I love to do stuff, but I would never free climb with the risk of dying. Like, I'll take a risk if I've got someone I trust underneath me, you know? So my thought for the classes and for the week were to find um, your comfort zone, to find out who you are, to find out the safe place of your body, where you don't feel at risk to expose yourself or to injure yourself, or you don't feel too vulnerable um, and then have to deal with the rejection on top of that or the criticism on top of that or the judgment and and it was just to see like if there's a way that we can especially now like in this environment it's quite you're on your own in your own space and it's online and I thought it would be nice to try to find a, a safe place uh, to move and to connect with who you are and how you feel and use our tool of the body to to find those ways to create movement um, and not really about achieving or challenging or pushing yourself, but actually just accepting. Um, so that was my plan, but we'll see how it goes. Uh, it is fantastic because it is actually, it can be the beginning of a revolution, political, social, is like find your safe place for taking risk from there. And that talks a lot about the vulnerability of the dance artists, the, the difficulties that we go through, the, the lack of resources, how we can create a containers socially, culturally, financially for them to take risk from there. And it's fantastic that you found that professionally and really looking forward to see how you help other people to find that safe space for them to push forward. Actually, uh, I was taking notes and the word that comes to me is that that realization, that thought that you had is revelatory, so simple, but so powerful, feel safe in order to be able to take risks. Cool, I'm glad it resonates a little bit. I wasn't sure if I was alone. <laughs> Big time. And just to wrap this up, what is your hope and desire for the future of dance artists? This is a big question, so I'm going to narrow it down a little bit more. Okay. Uh, the situation is, is quite unusual. I don't know if you've been living through 2020 and 2021 already. Just close it's, my eyes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> We're living under a rock, you know. But it also seems like an opportunity to, to change many things, to reshape. Lots of people are questioning, and now what? 
So if it would be down to you or you could contribute with a couple of thoughts about two things, the future role of the dance artist in the big picture. Okay. And the second thing, the environment, resources, and containers for those dance artists to be able to create their own work. What would be your hope, your letter to Santa Claus? Wow. Okay, say the first one once more, and then I answer it in two pieces. Yes. Yes, good. Place for dance artists. What is that place in society for dance artists in the future? Ooh. New place. It's a tricky one because you don't want to box things in. I like that uh, the contemporary dance world is um, not so uh, always accessible or available and that they um, really search for new ideas and um, don't go for what's going to be commonly popular. So I really in a way, hope it stays niche. Um, but not because I don't want people to know about it or you don't want it to be accessible, but just um, I think it's really great that it still offers something so unusual um, without compromise. Um, and I think that the artists are really able to stick to their visions um, and not have so many cooks in the kitchen to make a business and a financial profit and money out of something and tick all the right boxes. I like that they don't tick hardly any of the right boxes. <laughs> um, but it would be really nice if there was um, a way for more people to have access um, of it. I just... I, I don't know how this year there's been a lot of stuff trying to move online and it's something that I quite struggled with as a dancer and also as an audience um, is the live the live element being taken away. Um, I'm sure everyone has felt the same frustration and I think that the creative ways that people have tried to take it online have been good but I really hope that it doesn't stay within that medium. Um, I think there's many things that fit the medium and I think the medium is really good for many, many reasons, but I think that dancing is such a tangible, visceral uh, way to communicate and connect and inspire and um, be physical about that the screen. For me, it just... Puts a, it doesn't allow that to, to come across so well. Um, so I would hope that it, it, it can find its way to survive in the medium, but that it won't rely on it and stay there. I, I really, I know a lot of people are doing work from home and then they're actually finding a way to make that a permanent solution. And I'm really hoping that the arts uh, manage to hold on and wait for their life the life moments to happen again because um, I think they're really special, really necessary, really important to have that immersive uh, connection. Yeah. So nothing new for me. <laughs>
No, no, it's it's very important because, and I believe that the online uh, medium has come or has the possibility to come to support that yeah. rather than detriment from that in terms of accessibility, in terms of uh, finances as well, um, in terms of out outreach and disseminating knowledge. But of course, the idea of being in the studio and um, vibrating yeah. together, it's, it's irreplaceable. And... What was difficult in the previous system for dance artists that we might find different ways to work for us to change that paradigm to make, coming back to your idea of a tiny bit more a safer place? Because even before the pandemic, 60% of the graduates uh, finishing the school uh, stopped dancing after a year. Of the whole sector of the of the dance industry, the dance sector, only 10 or 20% are over 30 years old. Um, did you have any thought about how we can, or as a society or, or from the political sector or, or us as a, as a community, can create those safers, safer as places for us to thrive and continue holding mm. on to? You said only a certain percent over 20 or 30. Continue. Um, I think it is that 10% of oh. the dance sector is over okay. 30. Oh, wow. Yeah. Now, you said that in your in your in the piece that you were performing in Switzerland, you were the oldest one and there was a, a bunch of youngsters. Yeah, yeah, it's true. It's true, There it's were true. any of them over 30 years old? Not not now. Uh, yes, maybe maybe two. One or two. Out of? Out of seven or eight. Yeah, 10, 20%. Yeah, yeah it's true. I don't know if, if it's the if it's only the industry, um, because the industry quite often seemed to support the idea of experience, and it was always frustrating as a young dancer to get work because you lack experience, and then no one gives you work, so you never get experience. So you always feel like in that catch-22 as a young dancer that you're never going to be old enough to to have the experience that they're looking for. And there is something definitely in the more mature, older performer that life just gives you. Um, I think dealing with the setbacks, dealing with houses and families and relationships, I, I think there's um, also a lack of... You're not so eager. There's something more practical in the way that you approach work it's always um everyone always offers you an opportunity and uh, and it's quite nice at some point that you take control of those decisions as much as someone else creating them for you um and so i don't know if there is um something to do with the industry or to do with the individual um but i wonder yeah, maybe it's a bit of both. Maybe at some point you get also tired of the industry um, if it is not able to support so so well. It's a really challenging one and you need to have a lot of energy to persist and stay in it. So it's uh, it's understandable that, like me, I retrained, obviously, so I'm not the best one to be an advocate for, for staying. But I think... Um, so yeah, I think you're right. There's something in the in the industry that that um, needs to not take it for granted that um, there's always going to be someone younger and cheaper to to be involved with. I think that uh, they need to up their 
game and realize that it's really worth it to support um, as the people progress. I th um, but I think then it's also really important for the older generations to not get static and stagnant, that they come in with the same energy and optimism and creativity and passion and that the security of something doesn't make you back off your game. So I know people that sometimes have life contracts or in some companies it can be a bit problematic because there's um, um, not such a hunger. Uh, so I think if you do create that safety or that safe place, especially thing I was talking about, it's good to then not just get comfy and don't do anything about it. It's like, how do you use that to, to progress? Um, but maybe one of the, the answers is exactly what you said. What is the very first uh, thing that you said about you needed to get stronger, getting to know your body. You were one of the few uh, resisting that work of falling all the time because you had that knowledge of how to hold that body. I remember that one of the reasons why I stopped dancing is because I was fed up of waking up every morning with pain and I had the sports science, so I had the knowledge, but we didn't have the practice. So after a while you get tired of being in pain. So that would be a good starting. Yeah, it's interesting. When I started with Alias and we did Sideways Rain, which is a piece where you cross from one side to the stage to the other in the loop for an hour, it's knackering. And I was like new in, really keen, like really wanting to like not let the team down and I was dead, like they came up to me afterwards, I was like red-faced, on the floor, wiped out, they were like, are you okay? Like, and I was like, God, I'm quite fit, like I was not efficient, I had no idea how to attack or approach the piece, and there were guys much older that had done it longer, and they just knew how to cover space with minimal effort, and I was like, God, that is so inspiring that you're like bigger, older, <laughs> heavier, and like totally with so much flow and with so much uh, ease of movement and um, just efficient. They were chilling, like they would cross and they'd have time to wait. I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> How is that possible? I'm like 10 years younger than you, like, come on. And yeah. uh, it was really nice to realize that like it, it was nothing to do with age. It was just, I mean, they could keep, doing that piece forever and they just had the skill set the body knowledge the efficiency the yeah it's just a, it's a good skill set so it's a shame to retire them offer them so i think yeah i think there's definitely hope for it to last a bit longer than it normally has a shelf life of yeah and that, that would be a good beginning, right? A more holistic education, uh, a proper uh, physical body conditioning, mental conditioning in the companies. You know, like we are used to have, as a tradition, the one hour and a half class in the morning that sometimes serves you, sometimes it doesn't. But what about the after? How many people do something after in their own? No, it should be part of the work. I remember with this piece, the, the skipping, that very consciously I did a, a half an hour warm up very uh, very thorough to prepare the the body the mus muscle uh, how you say it in english musculoskeletal mus uh, muscle muscle musculoskeletal yeah mus that one <laughs> system the cardiovascular etc etc and instead of one hour and a half we did half an hour in the morning but then as part of the rehearsal we did a pilates or yoga class at the very end which we use that time for realignment so it's those little changes that can provide longevity 
to the performers. I think also just the belief, like we're so conditioned to think that your career is done by early 30s, either you're going to have a family or you need to get a proper job or you need to, and there's such a mentality to shift perspective and retrain and do those things and create more security for yourself. So it's, I mean, it's understandable, but yeah, it's, it's also good to remember that we, we can live it a bit longer. Mm. That's why systems like Belgium, that uh, you have the, the chômage, no, the unemployment uh, system for, for preferred performance that they have a salary. It gives uh, you that same security so you can exactly. actually invest longer. Yeah. yeah. I think that's something that is uh, quite sad for the UK. Well, for the UK and for the rest of the countries, the except. It's true. <laughs> except it's true. <laughs> I guess I just working in Switzerland and France too long to forget the, the because in switzerland and Fra i mean i know france they have the, the unemployment as well the intermittents um, and in yeah, switzerland, switzerland something similar also, yeah. yeah and brussels i think also quite hooked up so I think that uh, finding ways to support uh, the individuals for them to stay longer in the profession, in the sector, actually it is not a disservice to the people who are coming from uh, institutions and education or young dancers. Actually it's a service to them because it's mm. creating a culture where they can also continue after many years after they finish uh, their studies. So I think that's, that's a fantastic thought that we need to find ways of how we can provide the context for those more mature performers, artists to stay in the game and also how we provide yeah. uh, opportunities for them to keep creative uh, the, with the right motivation, uh, playful, etc, etc. So you answer the question perfectly. Great. Vicky Hoyland, thank you so much for this chat. Uh, I'm going to stay with that revelatory thought of making a safe place in order for you to be able to take risk. I, I think that uh, blew my mind today. Mm. It's something that you probably know because but you didn't put it uh, I didn't put it so well into words. So thank you for that and thank you so much for agreeing to talk to us today, sharing a little bit about your pleasure life. And really looking forward for your week, uh, for your classes next week. Cool, me too. Thank you so much. Thanks, Jose. Bye. Bye.